Hey guys, how's it going? Good, really good nice. man. Nice That's amazing. In Toronto, good weather. Yeah, no, it's surprisingly hot. Yeah. <laughs> um, ha, ha, uh, so it's been a while since we talked. Uh, let's see, each of you, what's up with you? Uh, let's start with you, Gov. Uh, well, for those that don't know, uh, I have a startup called Virgil Systems that focuses on network security using information theory principles and peer to peer networking uh, to have a flat uh, internet that's not built on data centers and where data privacy can uh, be controlled by the user as opposed to any corporation that is controlling your data which is the case these days. So that's a little bit of my background. I like a lot of things like mathematics, philosophy, computer science, and software development. Well, that's, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, how about you, Deep? What's up, what's up with you? Um, yeah, so first of all, I just wanna say that just sounds like the life of a polymath, so I can really appreciate that. Right on, oh. Govind. Um, yeah, so I, similar to Govin, I also run my own startup. Uh, we do quantum computing instead. We are looking to use quantum computers to accelerate the materials discovery uh, timeline, right? So right now we do a lot of things that are mostly uh, trial and error based, plus some compute for doing materials discovery. Let's say you want to discover a new uh, cathode or new electrode material right how are you going to do that um we want to automate that process and 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 speed it up by thousands if not millions that's our mm -hmm. goal it's pretty ambitious but yeah that's what we do every day or try to do well, yeah and so stuff. that's what i've been up to yeah thanks awesome. <laughs> that's amazing are you in toronto yes good good you're enjoying this weather then totally yeah it's uh, really nice weather might as well enjoy it while it lasts yeah well that's true it's going away soon, probably next week. <laughs> Still not that bad. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, so today we are uh, tackling a subject that I am very inept in. I have no idea. I mean, I know abstractly what it is, but I don't have any readings on it. Uh, I think you guys are more educated on this than me, but well, let's see how it goes. So we're, we're talking about bunch of different stuff actually it's not one thing but it's centered at logic propositions and quantifiers um do you want to so this was uh, the pathway was introduced to this conversation was introduced by gov do you want to start it off yourself sure um so when we think about logic uh what comes to mind uh generally it's things like uh debate you know things that logic is associated with are things like debate and uh uh, truth and false. Maybe people who are in software development are, would think of code. You know, there are, there are so many of these 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 concepts that come to your mind when you think of the word logic. Uh, you know what? Maybe maybe you guys can chime in. When, like prima facie, when I say the word logic, what are the what are the things you think about? No, I think. I mean, I guess it depends on their perspective, as you were saying. But I think what you're saying it makes sense. I think generally people think about logic as um, reasoning, like step by step thinking. Um, thinking about like it depends if you're asking a philosopher it's a little bit different than a mathematician than a software or a uh, regular person going about their lives not thinking about these things but I think that just remains for most people sure what about you yeah uh, when I think of logic I think of two things the more intuitive idea of logic 
which is what I think every human has, right? We like to all believe that we're logical beings, right? What does that mean? We all know that means something when I say it, but what does, so, so I think of the intuitive idea that humans are logical in so far as they have a set of consistent rules that you can codify that have some sort of basis, right? You can derive next set of actions based on a set of, let's say axioms or principles, right? And they're logical in nature. For example, uh, humans get hungry. Um, Wait, you're and, cutting and, off. I don't. Uh, is that is that me or? Oh, I, I can I can hear him fine. I think that's me. Cool. Do you want me to uh, restart for you? Okay, now that's better. Sorry. Okay, sure. No, no, it's fine. Continue. Cool. Sorry. Sure. So I was just saying that, like, uh, from from the for example, something that's logical, uh, or I would consider as logical, is the idea of hunger, right? Like when a human is hungry, um, what would be logical next is that they are going to try to get food, right? To me, that's logical. And, and, that, and so that's an intuitive logic or system uh, of systems or sets of logics that we just know from, by yep. nature. Then I think of the logic when, when, when Govan asked me, what do I think of when, you know, about logic, right? Like what comes to mind or how would I define it and, and whatnot? Uh, the second one is the formal abstract idea of logic that we humans have that I think that maybe other creatures don't have. And, and that's the mathematical uh, ability or the mathematical perspective of logic where you can uh, look at, you can create systems like Boolean logic. You can generalize Boolean logic and look at how you can construct quantum computations and universal computations. And propositional logic is totally different than what I just talked about. And so that's all these things are abstract logics and it's different than the intuitive logic sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a great way of like you know describing the entire breadth of, of what logic. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> and, uh, well, I think it comes down to the concept of truth and false, right? Because you have to start with things you know are true, and then you string these things that are true in certain ways that allows you to cr create certain implications, right? You 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 start with a few facts, like uh, mm. there's a classic one: uh, all men are mortal. Socrates is a man. Therefore, Socrates is mortal, right? You know, you have these propositions, you have, you start with these facts and then you put them together using some inference rules. But what I wanted to discuss in today's uh, uh, topic, as today's topic, is this concept of truth and false itself. We really, as humans, we take truth and false kind of for granted as, as a discrete binary thing, right? You, you, you have something that's true and if it's not true, it's false. But right. is that really the case? And to further ground our discussion, I have a few quotes from this book. It's called Fuzzy Thinking. Uh, and uh, it has it, it really explores this concept of how truth can be continuous or fuzzy, right? It's it's not it's not truth is like a an on off switch, but it's actually like on and goes all the way to off with like several maybe infinite steps in the way. Uh, so uh, one quote I really like is there was a mistake and everyone in science seemed to make it. They said that all things were true or false. They were not always sure which things were true and which were false, but they were sure that all things were either true or false. Uh, so I, th I thought that is, that is a really cool quote because it points out this fact that it, this is really taken for granted. We don't really think about, you know, like, what, is it, what does it mean for something to be true or, or false? Um, and another quote I think would be interesting, uh, not to make this all about quotes, I'll make this the last one. There's <laughs> a quote from Albert Einstein. Um, so far as the laws of mathematics refer to reality, they are not certain. And so far as they are certain, they do not refer to reality. Because... I mean, if you say something is true or false, the universe does not give a shit, you know, <laughs> the universe is going to do whatever it's doing. And we're, we're just, we're just creating these models where we say, okay, these things are true. These things are false. And, uh, and we're going to construct our models of reality based on it. But these models of reality are 
pretty much mental experiments that we perform across humans, right? Now, it just so happens that it happens to be incredibly good at modeling reality to the point where people can get confused and, and say that reality works based on the principles that we create and the, and the facts that we create. The things that we assign as true or false is, is what is allowing reality to work the way it is. But it's, it's always important to know that there's this detachment between what's reality and what's, what's you know, our, our collective uh, thought experiment, which is, uh, you can call it mathematics, philosophy, whatever. Any, anything that we, when we come together, we have discussions, even discussions like what we're having right now, they're, uh, they're just like, there's a separation from this and reality. Um, and this is kind of exemplified by what's known as the uh, law of the excluded middle in, uh, in logic. So where if you have a proposition, uh, let's say, uh, uh, let's, just, let's just call it P. Let's, let's work in the realm of the abstract. If you have a proposition P, P could be something like uh, uh, this is a fruit or uh, gob is a person, you know, things like that. Things, something that I can assign a truth value to, truth or false. Um, so the law of the excluded middle is that for all propositions P, P or not P. That is something can either be true or not true. Now, this, this, this sounds like stupid simple, right? Like this sounds kind of like, okay, sure, something can either be true or false. But now what's crazy is that several mathematicians in over the 20th century were actually pushing back against including this principle in logic. They were saying, no, I, I want to construct a mathematics which doesn't have P or not P. That is, P or not P is actually not true, according to these people. They were called the intuitionists. And this caused like a massive, massive debate uh, back in the 20th century. But I'll, I'll pause here and, and I'll, I'll, I'll get some comments from you guys. Like, what do you think such a mathematics could actually look like? So the first thing that comes to mind is the idea of structural realism. Um, structural realism basically posits that whatever scientific and mathematical understanding that we get of the universe, um, it does not necessarily reflect on the true structure and nature of the universe, right? So um, if you have a of equations that describe gravity at the macroscopic scale, that does not mean that those equations are the true structure and nature of reality. Um, and that's important because when we're, as you sort of alluded to Govind, like when we define something to be true or false, uh, nature doesn't give a shit, right, so to speak. Um, and, and, and that's like, like, interestingly enough, there's a philosophical question mark there, because what if it happens that structural realism is false? And ironically, there is some sort of mathematical truism, at least in the physics perspective, that we can define and that it is actually a true reflection of reality. It is objectively the truth, right? Like we, we may not, it may actually be possible, who, who knows? So there, and because we haven't actually answered that, you know what I mean? That, that philosophical uh, idea yet, whether structural realism uh, is true or not, is very hard to, it, uh, yeah, uh, extend or resolve the conflicts that occurred in the 20th century from logic? Because this is just an extension of that. What do you think? Um, well, I think this, this, this time in history was very interesting, you know, because, uh, well, maybe like some historical context would be that, you know, this is the first time you have like several extremely smart people from across the world coming together and creating a global, you know, uh, like, hey, let's tackle the biggest questions in, in humanity, like in, in human thinking, right? So like, um, and I think this kind of, 
resulted in, in probability, right? Probability is something that emerged from the 20th century. I mean, some could argue the roots extend way back, but you know, like the roots for everything extend way back. Uh, but uh, the reason I bring up probability in this, in this uh, argument is like, as, as humans now in the 21st century, we, our process of science is so fundamentally grounded in probability, right? Like to the point where our models of reality or the closest models of reality we have use probability necessarily, right? Think of all the discussions you've had with your friends regarding COVID or all these other things. Uh, most people tend to make arguments related to, to probability and, and case fatality rates, you know, these kind of like uh, almost baseball statistics, right? Like I say baseball statistics just to kind of ground it and make it more like, you know, you, you see where I'm going with this, right? Um, it's, it's just that probability has created this kind of uh, way that of, of, of making seem things, our models seem so real that you can actually see them and you can actually see their, measure their impact on them, right? This, in fact, in mathematics, this, the, uh, let's call it the backbone of uh, probability is called measure theory, right? Um, and I think this kind of lends itself to, uh, well, uh, some of the stuff you're working on, right? The quantum models of, of, of reality. So um, I, think, I think structural realism is something that is extremely effective because it's, 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 it works on observations of reality uh, behind the scenes, and it actually kind of gets there. I mean, I'm, I'm using structural realism, maybe I'm, I'm conflating it with some mathematical context that, or connotation that it does not come with out of the box, but <laughs> I, hope, uh, I hope my point is clear. Yeah, I understand your point completely. Um, Puyo, what do you think about this idea of an objective truth uh, in, in nature. Um, do you think that it actually exists and should we posit logic around that idea or, or, the, or the rejection of that idea? Yeah. Like how, I, how important should that role be? Um, that's a very good question. Actually, I have started this long project, which is in the background for my own sake. I actually came up, uh, thought of this question uh, a while back, I mean, everybody thought of, thinks about these things, but more seriously started thinking about this and started uh, getting onto some avenue to, you know, think about, yes, is there an objective reality? Um, and then that's literally the question to ask myself that started me on this journey. And, um, you know, I, I talked to some people from different walks of life, from psychology to philosophy to physics and what have you. Some people who are at the top of their fields. And um, I didn't, I mean, I did ask them this question, which uh, is not the point, but from their, our conversation, my conversation with them, what I got is that no, from, from, from the realest sense of the question, like the deepest sense of the question. And what I gather from all of those conversation, conversations is that, uh, again, um, not the way we understand the, uh, our world, our universe. Maybe there is, maybe there is a formalism that will get us there, but at least not with anything we have at this, you know, uh, far we've gotten discovery and science and philosophy and thought. So um, I, I think ultimately there is, um, that's just a guesswork, obviously, uh, like a hypothesizing, but not in the sense that, um, so let's, let me put it this way. So for example, when Govin uh, was saying that um, there's a spectrum of truth, I think that is, that is 
that is true until you get to the to the resolution to the to the to the pixel of reality essentially at some point it has to be one or the other um but we, we, we didn't get there yet so um that that's my sense of it that my sense is that yes it will eventually be some sort of uh, objectiveness in reality but uh, it, it requires a better understanding of uh, that reality that uh, the, the the fundamental laws of our universe and that is not just gravity gravity is for example gravity is emergent from my perspective in that in that sense well uh i i, I think you're going to be happy because uh uh, initially, you wanted this discussion to be more about the nature of reality, and I think it's, it's kind of still creeping into there. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about uh, the nature of reality as examined by Western philosophers. Uh, so there's uh, Descartes, notably, uh, in, the, in the history of Western philosophy in, like, let's say, the early modern period, which is like around 1600s to like present day, uh, or 1600s to 1800 is about uh, the early modern period. Um, uh, we, we had these different movements. We, we started with rationalism, uh, which is that, you know, like we, we just we just say things like create these elaborate logical models. And then uh, and then we we kind of examine uh, we, we use this as as descriptions of reality. Um, and then this kind of got rejected. And notably, uh, Rene Descartes was kind of like a, a huge figure in this movement because he said things like uh, the mind is its own sub separate substance. Uh, and to tie, tie that back to this discussion, uh, what I was saying earlier about uh, the realm of, of uh, imaginary uh, thought experiments that we work with in, in different fields like mathematics, computer science, and so on. Uh, he's, he thought that it was its own separate universe that was completely detached from our, uh, the universe that we live in. Uh, and he, I mean, these are all things he's saying, right? Like, I mean, uh, he could be right, he could be wrong, but it, like he's, like he's uh, using logic as a means to tie together his his arguments, but at the end of the day, these are just things he's saying, and he's just using logic to create an elaborate story, an elaborate mm. logical model, right? Uh, and no. this is the criticism that the next movement kind of gave to the rationalists. They were called the empiricists. Uh, people like David Hume uh, and uh, I think Mill uh, or Locke. John Locke was in there, uh, but they they were like, hey, you're just saying things, you know? You're just you're just creating. You're just like this is basically a story that I'm reading. And you're just like, well, God is this and God is that. You know? Savage, absolutely yeah. savage. <laughs> exactly. And uh, they were, like David Hume, one of his famous philosophical quotes is like, you know, you, can, you can't say for sure that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. We, we see it rise every day and we take it for granted. We have these explanations for it. But at the end of the day, these are just explanations. You know? And I mean, at this point, they hadn't uh, invented spacecrafts and all of that stuff yet. So, you know, they couldn't just go up there and see the sun. Well, well, even then, like it, it did, there is still a philosophical point to that. Like even then we may not, despite everything we know today, you know what I mean? The sun might yeah. not rise. Like there's. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, uh, that's where these For guys. For perfectly are. physical reasons. I'm not even saying like magical reasons, but yeah. 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 No <laughs> so, so they completely dismissed these, uh, the rationalist arguments using this. It's like, if I don't see it, uh, you know, it doesn't exist. So, you know, show me the proof, show me the reality of things. Got it. Um, and eventually, this kind of got resolved somewhat by Kant, Immanuel Kant, who came in the, uh, I believe, late 1700s, early 1800s. And he, um, he, he's like, okay, guys, how do we resolve this? Because there's clearly some value in using logic to describe reality. And there's definitely value in talking about things that we can see and perceive and sense, right? Um, so his way of reconciling this was to say that, uh, was to bring in the human aspect of things, like how we perceive things. And he, he thought that that played an important role. Uh, in fact, what we call space-time, uh, 
were intuitions. He described them as intuitions. So humans have an intuition of space and an intuition of time, which is what allows us to perceive these things in reality. Um, to make that more clear, he's, he's telling the empiricists, hey, the things that you think you're, you, you perceive so clearly, maybe they're not that clear. You, know, the, the, you are trapped behind your veil of perception at the end of the day. Um, and, and again, like this is all to talk about the objective nature of reality, right? As humans, we can't help but be stuck behind the fact that everything we're perceiving is just what we're perceiving. There's another quote from Descartes, you know, it's, uh, I think, therefore I am. It's, it's one of like the most famous quotes from philosophy, I think. But it's, it's basically that for him, thinking was such a rational endeavor, right? He, he thinks that just because he has this stuff running on in his head, like this voice that goes like blah, blah, blah in, in, in his head, uh, that's, that's why he knows for, for real that he exists. Like, no matter what, I have this thing that allows me to like perceive and like, you know, I, like, I don't know if you guys are real. I don't know if my computer's real, but I know there's something going on here. You know, that's kind of his point there. And Kant was saying, you know, there, there's that human element of things you just can't strip away from, from anything really, right? So that's a little bit of a, a background in, in this, in, well, let's say Western philosophical thinking about this, this, this topic. That's awesome. Um, and, you know, a lot of it circles, it, it's all circling and tying back into itself in an interesting way. And here's what I mean by that. So to your point about uh, how deep, you know, probability is in quantum mechanics, right? It plays a huge role, uh, a fundamental role um, for literally since the birth of it, uh, you know, physicists, both on the quantum computing, sorry, quantum physics side of things and the classical physics side of things, believed that there should be some sort of uh, clear description of the wave function and information that we can eventually have access to and predict perfectly. So, so like just uh, there is, there was this idea that we'll eventually be able to predict the exact nature of the collapse of the wave function. We'll know when it will collapse and, and to what outcome it will collapse rather than just knowing the probability. And, you know, fast forward 100 years later, we've made essentially zero progress in making that stochastic process any less stochastic to us. And so it's really uh, like sad reacts only, right? Like for the people who, who believe like uh, Govin, you and I have had tons of discussions about determinism and whether the universe is, and Puya, uh, you and I as well as actually all three of us. And so uh, quantum mechanics quickly touches on that. And then there's the objective reality question. There's the Wigner's friend paradox uh, experiments, right? That were recently conducted again two years ago where you had two different labs instead posing as the Wigner's friend. Basically, it's uh, Wigner's paradox is a paradox that was created in the 60s. It was proposed um, by the, the famous physicist Wigner. And uh, um, essentially what he said was that if there are, given the fact that the wave function encodes the all the possible measurables and observables for a given observer, then the wave function is going to be different for different observers. And if that's true, then they are going to have eventually conflicting facts about the universe. Uh, and, and so he said that's a paradox, that right? Insane. That is insane. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it turns out that it's true. That two years ago in, those, in these, it is insane. Because two years ago, we actually ran these quantum physical experiments where we took a, uh, a beam split, using beam splitters, we essentially used uh, quantum entangled photons and we beamed them to two different labs. And you have people, 
you have what's called Wigner's friends uh, inside the lab and then Wigner or, or like the observers outside the lab. And so all four people in this experiment, none of them can observe each other uh, or measure each other's uh, uh, photons directly. They can perform uh, measurements to see if a measurement has been done, but they can't, uh, yeah. So, the, so if you want to think about it physically, they're splitting at the end of the experiment one particle that was turned into four quantum entangled pairs. So through Bell state uh, pairs and beam splitters, you really have these. So if you, if you want to visualize that. So imagine like I take a ball, a physical ball, and I cut it in four pieces and I give it right to four different people. Uh, here, here's a weird thing about the, uh, the Wigner experiment. What ended up happening is that imagine if I asked those four people to look at, to, if I, to record the color of their ball, right? Let's say I, I cut a, up a red ball and, and I gave a piece to everybody. Everybody has a red ball in, in theory, right? A piece, a piece that's red. What ended up happening is that uh, these people, um, the, of course, with quantum mechanics, there's one caveat, right? You can expect the ball to change colors. That's fine. You can, you can expect it to change either red or green. So that's, let's say you can measure it spin up, spin down. Totally fine. Right. What, and, what, and what we did was, let's say that I did this. I took a red ball. I gave it to four of my friends. Uh, and then they did measurements, knowing that it'll change red, green, red, green sometimes. Uh, it turns out that when they did those measurements and they all got back to each other and they looked at their lists and, and the measurements that they did on each individual piece themselves, the colors didn't add up. So, so, I, so imagine this. Like Imagine if I looked at my list and I observed red, green, green, red, green, red, and you observed green, 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 red. So you were looking at a different piece of the ball. How is that even possible when I physically split the same objective ball? It's not. It, it, it's, well, technically, you shouldn't have been, but it is. Like, in fact, what's happening is the literal conflict and objective facts about reality, where you have a, a people who participated in a physical experiment, used the same physical measurement tools, and came out with different conflicting facts. That is so it's, completely wild. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know if that's physics anymore. You know, this is like this is something just uh, so beyond anything. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is very edge of it. Yeah, it's the edge of what we know, dude. Yeah. Oh my God, that's that's insane. Um, it reminds <laughs> me of the Banach-Tarski paradox, right? Like, I mean, these kind of things happen right. all the time in mathematics, and we're totally fine with it, right? Uh, so the Banach-Tarski paradox is like. Imagine you have a sphere, a sphere that's composed of like, let's, let's call them like an infinite number of, of droplets that are holding together the sphere, right? It's, it's like this packed ball. So the Banach-Tarski paradox says that there is a way to separate out, like just choose all the points, uh, like a whole bunch of these points that are in here, like these droplets, and then you take them out and then you move them away. And th these are just solely choosing the points, well, granted infinite number of points, you're telling them to go somewhere else. And using this, you can actually create a perfect clone of the ball, right? You have two different copies of the ball using the exact same number of particles. So you can do all these weird things with infinity in the world of the uh, abstract, you know, where, where fun things happen and <laughs> everyone's, everyone's happy and dancing all the time, you know, like yeah. <laughs> we're, they're like, we're okay with, with all kinds of crazy things happening. But man, when this spills over into reality, it's like, we all lose our shit because, you know, yeah, like, seeing exactly. is literally not believing, right? That's and, right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and so, um, so what, what, what do you, deep, especially because you're, um, you're actually very close to these experiments, what does that, what does that make you feel? What does that, 
what does that do you think it means? What does that say about that objective reality, if you will? What is your thought? Yeah, it well, what it tells me is that there's likely some sort of um, clearly a multiverse situation going on where mm-hmm. almost it's like we're maybe that maybe each uh, agent that can be considered considered an observer or anything that can be considered capable of measurement right we don't know how far that extends um we, we just don't know those answers but i believe that everything that can is on some unique multiverse and we all just have our own timelines intersecting with each other that's what that told me it no longer feels like we share one objective physical space it's like you know what I mean? We just have like the, these rays instead uh, that intersect. So um, it, it, I found, frankly, I found it psychologically disturbing when I read the experiment and the results. Um, and, and, and I don't think that there's any way around it. It's just, but it's fascinating stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, it, it does make sense. Um, yeah, what, what you're saying, like, I mean, obviously there has to be, so the, to me, either there's another explanation, such as the multiverse situation, or maybe there is no objective reality. <laughs> well, in a sense, at the end of the day, if, if you're living in a multiverse with a different set of facts and you're building all of your rules based on those axioms that you get from uh, facts, axioms, whatever, uh, uh, different set of axioms, let's say, then who's to say which universe is the reference universe or the, the main universe? Or <laughs> True. So maybe, maybe there isn't any objective reality, which, which to right. me, um, and, and that's my whole thing. That was my whole thing about this objective reality. Um, I, I asked this question going in thinking, yes, there is, and we can't just find it yet. Um, uh, but I, let's pose the assumption that, yeah, there is no objective reality. Then to me, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit more humanistic again, uh, talk, but it, it, it just shows me how uh, arrogant we've become of a thing called, you know, science and uh, discovery. Um, and we're just, we're just going forward thinking that we're supposed to know the answer to, to everything. We have to figure it out. And, and, that, and, and that's fine to try, but also I think it, it, this whole phenomena should, should give us some notion of, okay, there is, there, there should be a little bit, uh, a bit, a degree of humility uh, in what in what we do as um, discoverers of this universe, which is um, to me the most beautiful part. Again, I'm like this is being poetic as a human thing, but that's at the end of the day, that's who we are. And um, I think I think we should appreciate that part as well. Sorry, I'm just going to close this loop on this po- poem that I <laughs> just composed here, but. Um, Okay, back to you, uh, Gav. How, how does that make you feel um, for, from someone who's a little bit more distant, personally? Uh, I think, uh, well, it's very interesting to use the word poem there because, um, well, since, since this, this discussion has kind of been underpinned by logic and uh, language and all that kind of stuff, uh, there's this philosopher, Martin Heidegger. His, his entire take was like, we need to kind of escape from the confines of language and the kind of... Uh, uh, thinking that is inevitable just because of language being the way it is, right? Because uh, it's like, realistically, we all have our own personal languages. Like I have my own language. And when I say that, I don't mean like my own version of English. I mean my own, let's like composition of thoughts, experiences, feelings, senses, 
right? Like if I remember, if I smell a perfume from my past, like I'm going to have like these nostalgic experiences and all that stuff, right? And, and that, that really, that's part of, that's a, a word or like maybe a phrase in my personal language. And whenever I'm talking, what I'm doing is I'm converting from my, I'm translating from my personal language to English, right? In this case. And, and, then, and then you have to like convert that back to your personal language. And man, conversation is really hard. Like, how do we even do it? You know, uh, so uh, given this this context, but uh, Heidegger, his his attempt to improve language was by uh, positing that we move to poetry as a way of expressing ourselves purely, uh, because he thought poetry had this innate ability to capture our personal language, right? Because when we write poetry, it's such a like poetry is a hard thing to understand, right? Like sometimes you read poetry and I'm like, what the heck is going on? Right? Uh, but it's, it's just because it's, it's the poet's like attempt to try to bring out their personal language as much as possible. Right? And, and I would argue that most of art is the same process. So, I mean, in, 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 and I, I want to tie this back to like the point I made earlier about us trying to escape the confines of our own existence, right? Like the, the confines of our, of our human infrastructure. The way we do that, I think poetry is, is a very, very cool way of, uh, and it's kind of cool that it emerged from this discussion as well. That's kind of a case in point. <laughs> no, I, I, I think so. Yes, I think I understand. So it's it, the least amount of filters like art, I suppose, like closest to you as it gets, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, so, so y y yes, I, and, and that's what I've been going back and forth a lot. Like I obviously, as somebody who cares about, uh, you know, methodical thinking, logical thinking, and, you know, uh, rationale, reason, etc. That is very valuable, especially if you if we want result in this um, in this world of ours. Because at the end of the day, we can get a lot with the our version of you know uh, reality that we have um, in, in this very pocket that we are living in, uh, in 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 the whole in the whole universe in in space and time. But um, going beyond that, I think there there has and that that is where I think. They kind of, uh, uh, you know, overlap. The the field, let's say, let's call it science and art, if you will. I don't, I don't like to make huge distinction, like borderline distinction distinctions, generally personally. But I think in in entirety, society does make it very like black and white distinction between these two, um, which I think there there is a good amount of overlap, and that is what, what that is we the are talking. Fuzziness, right? It's all about being fuzzy and accepting <laughs> it for what it is, as opposed to what yeah. we want it to be. That maybe seems more perfect to us, right? Like these molds seem more perfect to us, but the reality is nothing is a mold. Like everything is fuzzy, right? Like, and I think Deep's mm. example is like such a mind blowing realization of that. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's true. And well, one, one can raise the question, I suppose, that what makes us um, want the, I mean, I have, I have one answer, but let's, let, let me just pose the question first. Uh, what makes us as who we are humans again within this infrastructure um, want this clarity of binary of um, you know not being fuzzy but rather completely distinct uh, true or false what well, what are your thoughts on that well i I remember we we actually think i think we we did a podcast on this a little bit uh, ago about like the nature of chaos right some people most people I think are very averse to chaos because they like things being simple and easy to understand mm. right but yeah. i think uh i mean the more uh let's say foolhardy among us uh for lack of a better word uh like kind of naturally is gravitated towards chaos because I think chaos is just such a good description of reality, but the problem is that chaos 
by definition is incredibly, incredibly complex, right? So you don't, you don't have the simplicity of, of like, you know, two plus two equals four, right? You're right, like, right. what's two, what's plus, what's four, yeah. <laughs> what's equality? <laughs> that, exactly. that sounds like you took, you just say, yeah, yeah, smoke some weed or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what is two, man? What is even two? Oh, wait, I thought this was Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it could be. Uh, anyway, no, I think, uh, so, Okay, let me go back to, how about you, Deep? Uh, and then I'll share my thoughts. Yeah, so uh, for, first of all, it's super interesting about the nature of fuzziness, especially when we think about Zeno's paradox, um, because even that uh, is, is a great example. You know, uh, I still contend that we have not resolved the paradox of why is it that we can make contact with anything? Right? Why is it that I'm even touching the floor right now, despite the poly exclusion principle and, you know, Zeno's paradox? Right. Can you tell us uh, about Zeno's paradox? I sure. Think. So, so, so Zeno's paradox. Um, it's really a family of paradoxes, but it all comes down to the fact that I'll give you an example. Um, let's say that you want to uh, reach the end of a hallway. And your rule that you impose on yourself is that you're going to have your distance uh, in order to get to the hallway. And you'll have your distance every single time until you get to the end of the hallway. And so let's say you, the, you're 10 feet away from the end of the hallway. Then the next time, the next move you make, you're five feet away, then two and a half, then 1.25, and so on and so forth. And until you go to point zero 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 one two five blah blah blah, but it'll never be zero, right? It never touches zero. So at no point will you ever actually reach the end of the hallway. So Zeno's paradox what basically asks, why do you never why do you touch the end of the hallway? Why is it that in real life we end up making it to the other side? Despite the fact that uh, these infinite distances, you know, taking any slice of an infinite is still an infinite. So, so he just had all these questions about, yeah, space time, very deep questions to the thousands of years ago. Um, so, and we still haven't answered them properly. And, and yeah. Well, I have a point about that, but I know Fuya, you're, you're itching to talk about your, your perspective on this. Go so I'll let you go ahead. Oh, you're on mute. Oops, sorry. Uh, first of all, I wanted to say that I, I, I sent a, uh, the, uh, photo in chat a while ago, and I think <laughs> I diverted Deep's attention to that kind of concept, which was uh, I don't know if you saw it, the, the 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 rabbit or whatever it is it wants to go get a haircut. Uh, I'll, I'll put this in the show notes, by the way. But it's a half-off haircut. <laughs> I don't know. Did you guys see that one? <laughs> I'm well, looking true. at it right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. yeah anyways, I'll, I'll put this in the show notes so you, the, the people who are listening to this they can just find it out. But um, and this is exactly what you're talking about. It'll gonna take forever. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. You're uh, but right, but why, why do we actually get that haircut? Uh, the half off haircut eventually. Um, yeah. No, I think so. First of all. All of these are exactly to my point that there's there's there is probably a sea of things that we just don't know about the nature of our um, universe. The one that even forget about objective reality, the one that we even perceive, um, and may, uh, one can make an argument that the, the reason with the fatalities of our our views, our 
the questions that we cannot answer is because of the fact that our our, uh, our realities are not completely overlapping the objective one, and, and that's where the, those those are the the edge cases that are actually creating these problems, uh, perhaps. But true. Uh, beyond that, I think there's a there's a degree of obsession um, amongst many many people, most people probably, beside beside the ones who are embracing chaos, I suppose, as Golden was putting it, that we uh, there, there's a good good amount of like humanity essentially wants a clear answer to uh, two things, and sometimes it takes shortcuts uh, through through um, you know ideologies that might not have you know ration, uh, rationale behind them uh, just to get to those answers. Why am I here? Why like because I have to be tested here to go to heaven. It's part of the some of the religious ideologies, or um, or what is the nature of our unit? Why is the sun come up every day? First of all, does it going to come up tomorrow or? And then we come up with these answers and everybody through their own uh, ways try to answer these definitively. And part of that is, I think, now it's a little bit more philosophical questions, I suppose, or answer rather thoughts, I suppose. But I think part of that is because uh, we understand our own mortality by binary, uh, which is the most, um, uh, the, the, the deepest uh, probably um, driver of our existence. And that is either we're dead or alive. There's no, I'm half dead. It was like, well, maybe you're sick a little bit, but you're not half dead. <laughs> so, um, I, I, and, and there is, there's a degree that we, and there's an understanding that um, when I die, I, there's like, there's no coming back from that. I mean, I, I, obviously there are exceptions that sometimes some people, some people flatline and they come back. But if, if, if you're flatlining for a week, you're not coming back from that, right? So, so there's a, there's a permanency to that experience that, um, and 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 our deepest drive is to avoid that. So, to to avoid that clear, um, uh, at least at least from our mort mortal perspective, clear true or false. If true being you're dead and false being you're alive, um, uh, that that is clear. That okay, if if I'm if I'm talking right now, as Descartes would say, it I, I exist. I, well, in a in a more biological set, sense, I'm not dead, uh, and 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 it drives all of those questions, I suppose. But again, like uh, also going back to um, language as a as a logical uh, tool, essentially. Um, what do you? Th <laughs> this is going to be a funny question. What do you think people before language would think? W would they have similar thoughts to these things? No, I mean obviously in a simpler case, they're not thinking about quantum physics, I suppose, but. Um, do you think all of these are fatalities of language that we're carrying with ourselves or is, is, is it derived by language or is it more fundamental? So if, if we didn't have language for people who didn't invent language yet uh, back in, I don't know how long ago, um, would they have similar thoughts, do you think? Well, I, I think, uh, well, we do have animals, right? Like, I mean, when we have these, uh, sure. I don't know if you have any pets, do you? Uh, me, no. Okay. But I, but I know, okay. No. <laughs> No, no but I can understand what you're, where you're going. But yeah, like when, you, when you have uh, like interactions with animals, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I love animals. You know? it's, it's almost like you have this communication with them. That's, that's not like you, I mean, I don't, I, I can say words to them. They probably don't understand me unless mm -hmm. uh, all animals know English and they just choose to ignore us. <laughs> and they're like, humans are too stupid. To There's talk a cabal <laughs> of animals deciding that this is not a good idea. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of Rick and Morty episodes come to mind. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, it's, it's just that, that awareness, that being that's, that's just there. Right. 
I think that is rooted in language fundamentally. Like, I don't, I don't know if we can actually get past this, uh, um, this, like our, our, like the language that we have evolved and developed is like, it serves a very good purpose, which is sharing thoughts with each other, sharing these, these like awareness experiences with each other. Right. But at the root of it all, like, I mean, it's, it's all about that awareness. And, and you brought up such a great point about death, right. And how death is that binary, which kind of makes us realize like, you know, like there is such a thing as a clear, like a clear line drawn in the, in the, in the, not even sand, like a line drawn in the concrete, you know, this, this is it. <laughs> like, you know, there's life and then there's not life. So, so that, that is actually such a, such a great point about why uh, uh, negations work in this, in this sense. Uh, I seem to have lost you guys. No, no, no. We, we can hear you. Okay. So cool. Yeah. You're, your, you're, your picture froze, but I can hear you. So that's good. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's, that's the point I wanted to make, you know, it's, uh, it's like these, these ideas do exist, but I'm, I'm sure animals have a notion of death as well. Right. And animals, uh, oh, yeah. their, their experiences and all that. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, uh, that's true. The notion of death is obviously at least in, a, in its more primal sense, obvious, obviously they're, they're, they're trying to avoid it, but uh, no, but my point was, um, so, so the rabbit holes that we go to and get stuck in the, half of the way, to the destination and then half it and then half it and then half it. Is this my, this is what I, is this now, now this one is, is not, is outside of language actually. So I'm, I'm kind of negating myself, but is a lot of these uh, a problem with language and, and, uh, and how we're communicating with each other, because um, honestly, like there are instances that I, I think actually I've been thinking about this. Uh, do I think with myself? Like when there's nobody else, I don't have to communicate with anybody else. I don't need to use language, English, Farsi, whatever, uh, to communicate with other people. Um, but is there any, any, do I communicate with myself, with my thoughts in language or outside of language? And I've been thinking about this for a while and trying to observe it. And yeah. part of it is that, yeah, most of my thoughts are uh, used, using language. But yes, there are pockets sometimes that I feel like, there's a thought that I can't even express it to myself using language. Um, it's that maybe that that's, that, that's far. Um, like there's a thought and I'm perceiving it. There's some sort of experience behind it, but so, I so can't can even you describe that experience for us. Like, I mean, what, what is like, so what is an? It sounds like an impression of a thought, right? Because a thought yeah. maybe is a thought when you're able to express it, maybe. Yeah. Know. So I think, I think that that becomes super clear. Uh, well, okay. Let me, let me give you, so this is a, this is going to be a little bit an exaggeration, like a, not what I'm thinking about. So the one that I'm thinking about is more of a thought, but think about this when you're extremely uh, fearful for your life at, at a very moment notice of, you know, hitting, you know, you have to, you have to run. There's, there's a, there's a specific quality to that fear and you're thinking, okay, maybe there's a bear in front of you. And your thought is that I'm going to grab this knife, but are you really thinking in terms of words? I am going to grab this knife. You see a knife, you, you want to grab it. You know what I mean? That's a thought that I'm going to grab this knife, but it's not really in any language. Uh, and that is really forced when I think um, I, I can see myself uh, doing that at least. Uh, when it comes to the precipice of like some sort of uh, when it co combines with some sort of very sp strong emotion, such as, okay, I have to grab this knife or gun or whatever, shoot this bear. I'm not thinking to myself, 
okay, I am going to grab the gun and I am going to pull the trigger. Right? This not that's not it. You just know, right? It's, it's, and, it's a possibility. It's like you're like I, the the way I think of it is is like a, it's almost like a design space of everything that could possibly happen given what's around me, right? So mm -hmm. it's like you're sampling from this design space. Like one of these events, for example, is like you picking up a knife or like you know. Uh, you punching someone in the face who's <laughs> around you. Uh, something like, it's, it's like, these are, these are just, uh, I, I think the mind is really good at generating these kind of things, which is just sampling points from, uh, from this design space of what's around us, right? Yeah. And then, and then th these are actions or like, these are, these are impressions. Uh, yeah. It's like, yeah, we just, we just like, we have all these things around us, like stimulus and our mind is generating these things. And, most of the time, it's, I guess, pretty pragmatic. It's like, oh, you have to put on your shoes to walk. It's like this thing you tell yourself, but you're not really thinking. Right? You're just doing things. But yeah. like, sometimes it's, it's just like random thoughts. Like it's, our mind is a pretty interesting uh, random number generator. <laughs> Deep, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it, it really is. Uh, I agree with that. I mean, you can almost say that, uh, you know, all of our output, all of our, I've always wondered, you know, the what is it, the thousand monkey or the infinite monkey experiment or thought experiment where what would happen if you let uh, monkeys um, play with a typewriter for an infinite amount of time, right? There's the idea that they would eventually create Shakespeare. Um, and, and it makes me question the idea of creativity and thought. Is it a linear combination of what you already know? Or is it truly something that will eventually appear emergent from random fucking monkey <laughs> monkey actions right like what what is true intelligence creativity so um uh with that being said i really had a uh, i was thinking though you know um on that note about us looking at death and life as binary that's true we are classical creatures like we observe the universe in a classical sense right everything is in and and so because it's macroscopic to us uh I wonder what if, uh, what does life look like for, let's say a microorganism that doesn't experience the world classically like we do, right? What if there are, there are quantum organisms that are only experiencing the world in quantum mechanics? To them, there would be literally no such thing as a classical, I am dead or classical alive. What does that mean? What, what does death for that organism look like? So yeah, I was just thinking about that. What do you guys think? Yeah, no, you're you're dragging us into the panpsychism. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. uh, it reminds me of the movie Arrival, right? Uh, with the whole concept of like circular time and all mm. these things. Right. Man, I, I like this is some. I think uh, innovations of the 21st century, like uh, exploring this these kind of ideas. I see so many outlets for this in in different uh, TV shows and movies and all that stuff. Of this totally. idea of like this this like convergence of everything, how everything is one and many at the same time, right? Uh, well, I guess the fuzziness of everything, right? Like everything is just really fuzzy and we're, as humanity, yeah. starting to accept it, which is, you know, really freaking cool. <laughs> no, no, it is. Um, you mentioned Arrival. It reminds me of, um, so I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, okay, maybe I'm mistaken, but let me let me just make it, maybe you know, uh, I think Stephen Wolfram was an advisor in that movie. I don't know if you Oh, really? Oh, I did not know I, that. That's, I, I'm doubting myself now, so. Anybody out there listening, please double check for yourselves. Uh, don't quote me on it. But um, I, which reminds me, he actually, I don't know if you've, you're familiar. Actually, I don't it know. I, want... I, I did a quick Google and it, it, it is? looks like it's okay. Cool. Yeah. And he came up with this new, um, um, uh, what is it? What do you call it? Uh, geez. 
the new stuff? Yeah, he uh, his hypergraph physics. Yes. Yeah. Have you heard about that? Did you look into it? Yeah, I I, 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 ha <laughs> I, I checked it out. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on that? Look, super quickly. I don't want to go to a different deep rabbit hole right now, but it reminded me of him when you mentioned uh, arrival. Sure. Um, I mean, very. First of all, do you, I, I don't know, uh, Govin, are you familiar with what it is? Oh yeah, sure, sure. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, cool, cool. Just go ahead. Yeah, just very briefly. I mean, the idea of like com complex physical phenomena from simple rules is nothing new, right? Like that's been talked about for a hundred years. Um, what was really interesting was the idea of using causal graphs or attempting to use just like these hypergraphs to encode physical rules. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's promising. Uh, I'd love to see experiments in math and more rigor, but the ideas are cool. Like Stephen Wolfram is really like, he has some fundamental thoughts there that are interesting, unique, worth pursuing. Mm -hmm. He's a, he's a real uh, pioneer of this kind of, uh, this kind of funky, fuzzy stuff, right? Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. absolutely. <laughs> he has changed theory so much with his work on automata and all that stuff. Mm, uh, but this, exactly. this kind of relates, uh, I mean, I, I, I wanted to bring back this point from about 15 minutes ago. Uh, sure. when we were talking about Zeno's paradoxes. Yeah. I think uh, yeah. Uh, a conversation topic for a future podcast definitely should be the nature of calculus, right? Because, Yes. Uh, the, way, the way we, as humans, resolved Zeno's paradoxes was to create this notion of a limit. We just threw a limit exactly. on it, and we say at some point, uh, it, it does it does converge onto this value, right? Like it, it does right. become like okay, so you keep cutting the half of your hair, and then at some point you're you're gonna get a full haircut, right? Like even if you yeah. get a haircut each time, you get that convergence. Now that that notion of con convergence, uh, it turns out is is not strongly understood by by humans. Uh, but I think that's something we need to discuss. And, and I, I, it stands out for me because this is one of the first discussions we ever had, right? You and exactly. I, yep. Yep. Absolutely. Talking about, about limits and how like, and that's when I think I first realized that. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense, does it? It's just, we just put a Yeah. And isn't it, and isn't it great because some, that is, it all stemmed from some Berkeley kid asking us like, like about it, right? Like he's like, yeah. oh, is it this, like this? And, and then, yeah. 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 <laughs> Cool stuff. No, but I think we should explore that in uh, in the next podcast or the subsequent. Yeah, podcast. sounds good. No, I think I think okay. We made the plan. Um, I don't know about the dates. We'll talk about that later. But next yeah. sub subject of the next conversation will be um, uh, calculus and its origins and its fundamentals, axioms, I suppose. Um, okay, uh, I think that's a good. Here's a good stopping point. We almost went full hour here. Uh, is there anything else you want to, um, you know, uh, close the loop on before we leave this conversation? Well, for me, I think uh, I, I learned so. I mean, I had these thoughts about fuzzy, fuzzy thinking and all that stuff, and it was kind of like in the uh, let's put, let's say the disk of my the, my external hard disk of my brain. <laughs> it's, it's just forgotten there, so it's great to brush the dust off. And I feel like I, I really uh, kind of added to these models based on this conversation. So, uh, yeah, it was very cool. I think we, we achieved fuzziness today. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> oh, that's great. How about you, Dee? Yeah, I, I would just say that I really appreciated uh, the perspective of the history, history philosophy with respect to logic. Uh, that's a super neat perspective um, that you brought to the table there, Govind. And, yeah, uh, just the perspectives that were shared today. Um, it's awesome. It does make things more fuzzy. And uh, yeah, let's keep it going, guys. I I think that there's a lot of interesting questions we posed here today. So, okay. And uh, if anybody wants to share their thoughts, feel free. You can reach uh, 
go in and deep in the respective social media, which I'm going to put in the show notes. Don't need to repeat them here. Uh, you can you can find them there. Like subscribe and comment, guys. <laughs> <laughs> make make it make it dirty. No, keep it clean. Uh, <laughs> and all right, stay fuzzy until a later episode. Stay fuzzy. Right. Cheers, guys. Bye. Thank you.